Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 16 years. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss critical issues facing government and industry leaders in rolling out a zero-trust architecture. With me on today's show are Alper Kerman, cybersecurity engineer and project manager at the National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, which is part of NIST. Shane Barney, Chief Information Security Officer, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service. Trafinia Flynn Salzman, Security Architect, Small Business Administration. Mark Sinkovich, Federal Director at Lumio. Chris Roberts, Federal Technology Director, Quest Software Public Sector. And Tony D'Angelo, VP North America Public Sector at Lookout. A big subject here was zero trust architecture. Uh, the White House published a executive order, I think it was back in May, and if I recall, there were 11 citings, citations in there regarding the zero trust architecture. Of course, NIST has published uh, their uh, 800-207 back in August. Let's start with you, Alper. Uh, what's going on over at NIST? A lot of different activity going on in regards to defining an architecture, a framework, et cetera, and a rollout of zero trust architecture. Uh, yes, um, you know, we're, we are obviously a research facility. And so, uh, you know, we've been researching zero trust actually since early uh, 2019. Um, in fact, our uh, first project was driven by a federal initiative uh, for the adoption of zero trust principles and approaches for securing uh, federal information systems. Um, Outcome of that year long project was the uh, document you just mentioned, and this uh, special publication 800-207, the ZTA guidance document that uh, most everyone is familiar by now. Um, Which I might add yeah. is a, a lot of heavy lifting uh, associated to that, so well done. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, and so that it was, uh, uh, I mean, we uh, partnered with uh, Federal CIA Council on that, uh, um, uh, on that effort. Uh, we led the technical work with uh, volunteers from uh, various uh, government agencies and, and uh, put together that document and uh, it was well received. Uh, we received a lot of uh, positive uh, you know, feedback. And, and of course, uh, I think that was our um, uh, really initial effort that actually helped uh, spread the uh, zero trust knowledge because we uh, you know, it's a document that describes what zero trust is, what zero trust architectures are in a um, conceptual level, uh, if you will, uh, uh, technology agnostic way. Um, and uh, but I think that uh, not a spread of knowledge gained momentum after the uh, EO the release of the EO 14028. And then, of course, after um, especially after OMB's um, federal zero trust uh, strategy, I would say. Um, so that's uh, really uh, all I can say about the document uh, uh, in terms of that effort. But then after that, we, we decided to get our hands dirty, so to speak, and uh, we uh, decided to um, build a, uh, um, a zero trust test lab. And so that was, uh, that was a, a great um, um, experience for us. It was mostly, though, educational and fact finding. Um, you know, we conducted some, uh, we built a network infrastructure, put together, got our hands on some uh, zero trust technologies and uh, conducted tests and performed gap analysis. So it was, it was a, a great exercise for us. 
Uh, now we are uh, the next thing uh, that we're doing is is this project that we just launched um, and uh, and basically uh, it's a, a follow on uh, ZTA demonstration project for the uh, guidance that we put out for the uh, NIST special publication 800-207. Um, so we will be uh, uh, collaborating uh, about 20 uh, or so uh, vendors uh, uh, to build example ZTAs using blend of technologies that work together. Um, and of course, again, uh, this will be completely based on the guidance that we provide, uh, more specifically the deployment models that we describe in that document. Right, so that's, well, that's uh, great groundwork and uh, sort of a lay down. Uh, you've gotta be able to define this capability. I know there's a lot of good work on you cited the zero trust strategy and certainly the zero trust maturity model that the, uh, the community is working on well. Great segue over to USCIS. Shane, you're in the middle of implementing this capability now, been on that journey for some time. Yes, you are very aggressive going out into the cloud, et cetera. Tell us how the uh, journey is going as far as laying this architecture down. Yeah, we started uh, we started in Zero Trust a lot, quite a while ago, actually, before, before 2019, um, long before the EO, primarily because, as you pointed out, our, our heavy cloud presence forced us to realize that we had to do identity, we had to do um, asset management, we had to do all of it differently. Um, cloud drives that point home quite nicely and, and usually in epic ways. Um, and so some, some hard lessons we learned doing that, um, we quickly realized that we needed a different approach to how we were going to do things. And so in our 2019, end of 2019, early 2020, uh, strategic plan for cybersecurity, we built in the zero trust model. We, we included it in there. We even called it zero trust, which I'm certainly not the fan of. If I can get my friends at NIST to, to change the zero trust name, I will gladly pay for that. Um, but that all being said, yeah, we started very early because we needed to to deal with our cloud assets in a better way. We need to be able to better, you know, this isn't about no trust, what zero trust implies. It's actually about very granular trust at the very, you know, at asset level. So, you know, really talking about asset trust and how those things interact and how your assets interact with one another, regardless of what that asset is. It, it could be data, it could be, all, you know, a person, it could be a laptop, it could be a server, it could be a virtualized environment. Um, all these different assets interact and how that trust and how that trust levels work, they work and how trust works at those varying levels. Um, became very critical for us. So we started early on and we also realized very quickly that identity was the key, was the key turning point here. If we didn't get that right out the gate, anything we did after that built upon it was just meaningless. Um, and we extended our understanding of what identity meant was not just, you know, a user logging in with single sign on. It was far more than that. It, you know, it was of course the role-based access, you needed that, but it's even more so than that because you had to extend most of the time people just apply role-based access to the users. You, you know, you have to start applying them all your assets. Um, you've got to understand the geography of your assets. You have to understand how they interact, when they interact, when it's okay not to interact, uh, and, and how those interactions are impacting your overall kind of trust enterprise. Um, and, and so we, we did things like you know, deploying a secrets management solution. We knew we had to manage our secrets well, and we had to do it in an automated fashion. Uh, we deployed, a, we're, we're in the process actually of automating a good portion of our certificate management as well, um, because that again, it's part of your identity infrastructure. You need to be able to have that locked down and solid or you're simply just not going to get very far. Um, and then I, I think the final piece, which we really started focusing heavily on, uh, probably in 2018, but more recently in the last couple of years, is this is the security automation side of it. Um, none of this is going to be done by humans on, on a very granular level. This is all going to be done by automation. Um, and so getting your automated infrastructure in place, getting your tool sets in place to help you control that, watch that, and oversee it, and most importantly, provide the feedback loop 
that ensures that your your perception of the security of your enterprise meets the reality of the security of your enterprise and that delta is probably the most important thing that you do as you go through this journey um and, and the last thing I, I think we spent a lot of time on at least i have is helping my leadership at all levels understand that you know the zero trust is not a project it's not something we're going to do and be done um zero trust is going to be with us forever um it's going to become more program level in the sense that it'll always be with us we're always going to be talking about it um, if it's done correctly, we will still be dealing with you know, zero trust principles well, well, well into the future because it's an architect. It's, it's the way you build your entire organization. So clearly it's not going away. So it's not a one and done. It's, it's not a, oh, here, deploy this tool and you're good to go. This is going to be an ongoing effort that we all be, we're all be engaged on. So you know, having, helping my leadership understand that I think is, is really critical to success as well. Yeah, I think the uh, people always seem to leave off the the A and uh, the zero trust uh, uh, piece of that and that architecture really important. It's it's a it's a journey. It's a culture, if you will. It is a culture. And uh, speaking of culture, uh, Trafinia, you all uh, sort of got launched into a an exploding capability over there uh, um, um, uh, w w when all this uh, relief money was coming out, et cetera. Had to really change your environment very quickly and implement a lot of this stuff in a very short amount of time. How's that going for you? Yeah, well, with yeah, with COVID nineteen, it definitely we had five thousand employees, and then by the end of, or I guess in the middle of COVID nineteen, we had twenty thousand employees. So we really had to scale very quickly and be able to support all of those small businesses and all of the services that we had to offer, you know, the American people. So it's been, uh, I'd say it's been really good because our leadership was already forward thinking when it came to cloud, kind of like Shane touched on, we've already, we're kind of already had a good cloud foundation so that we could scale when something like this happened and we were in a good position to do that. Um, I think COVID-19 and uh, Zero Trust just kind of propelled us forward both with leadership and with our technologies. It just kind of, it definitely gave us more um, uh, like a catalyst, more of some oomph to get us moving forward towards that zero trust architecture. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it, it's been going really well. Glad to hear that. Uh, Mark, you know, uh, over at Illumio, uh, you all are uh, uh, one of many pieces of this uh, sort of uh, uh, framework, if you will, that uh, needs to snap in and help address this architecture. Tell us what you're, you're seeing there. Give us the state of the state. So uh, I have the opportunity to be able to talk to a lot of federal customers and prospects, and I'm very thankful for that. And what I'm seeing across the board is that there's a tremendous emphasis on ICAM or identity, as uh, Shane had talked about. Uh, but, you know, and then there's also an emphasis, I'm talking about the different five pillars of zero trust, right? Typically there's the identity piece, the network piece, the device piece. And then those are where the emphasis is uh, on the federal government. The challenge is none of those focus areas are gonna stop the lateral movement of a cyber attack. And when we look at solar winds and we look at the damage that was caused by that uh, breach and then the lateral spread, um, it was caused because there wasn't any uh, trust, uh, any policy between uh, the workloads in the application. So um, if I switch over to another pillar of Zero Trust, which is the workload and application pillar, uh, you, you have to have a really good micro-segmentation policy under that pillar to stop the lateral movement. Because as we know in Zero Trust, uh, you have to assume a breach. So the enemy's already inside the wire. 
so knowing that, if you don't have a way to have policy with your apps and workloads, then those packets that are that shouldn't be there in the network are unrestricted, and they're going to cause major damage. And one of the things that we're seeing at Illumio is obviously many, many organizations, it certainly started in the civilian side of things and that's moving to the DoD, obviously moving to the cloud, but you know, in a lot of ways, the cloud increases the attack vector, right? So when you have an on-prem data center, there's less people that can access that data center just because of the nature of it being inside a federal building. But now you put it to the cloud and you have a higher attack vector. Uh, and certainly um, a big challenge is insider threat, right? And if you have an insider threat who has access to cloud resources can do a significant amount of damage. But if you have micro segmentation to the apps and workloads, that will stop uh, the damage from spreading. Um, but let me just back up one second. Before you start to think about micro segmentation and figuring out that, you need visibility. And I think that's where a lot of folks can start. Right now, I can say definitively that the federal government in general does not know they're, they can't see their apps and workloads. They can't see the connectivity. And the idea is, how can you do something to an, about an enemy that you can't see coming? So you've got to be able to have that visibility first and then be able to prioritize and execute sort of a military principle, right? Of where's the biggest threat from the, the ports that are potentially open? And then you start to lock those ports down through a micro-segmentation policy, we call it a containment switch. And then from there, you can then decide and a rollout strategy to roll out micro segmentation. And that will literally shore up um, your network from having an attack moving laterally. Yeah, no doubt that, uh, yeah, and I, boy, we, we learned this all the way back at the OPM breach, right? That these collateral and tertiary systems and, uh, and not having some of those principles in place uh, really caused a lot of uh, havoc in the environment, a lot of damage in the environment. Chris, how about over at Quest Software? Give us a sort of a paint a picture of the top line. What are you seeing over there? How's it working in regards to these agencies trying to implement the zero trust architecture? Morning, thanks, Luke. So the key word there is working. Um, and I like the idea that we all pretty much agree that there is no one solution for achieving a zero trust architecture. There is no destination. It's just a train that we just can't get off of, quite frankly, and it will keep on going. So the important thing to understand within these organizations and when we talk to our customers, and I have the benefit of working across both our public sector organizations, as well as you know some of our commercial counterparts, and I see what they're doing. And then also our DOD and civilian customers. And depending on who you talk to, there's a varying degree of either hope or despair. And you know I just wanna be frank about that. Um, the key thing I would like to come back to is that the executive order, for instance, which was great because it pointed out some very key things. You need to basically fund detect something, you have to remediate something, and you have to respond. Those three things encompass so much. And I like that Shane talked about the fact that you're going to have to get used to automation. You're going to have to do things, quite frankly, that humans can't do. That is, you know, when Mark said about identifying packets of micro-segmentation, you have to be able to adapt as quickly as the network adapts. Advanced persistent threats don't just sit dormantly sometimes. They are very active. Um, those lateral movements that happen, like you know, Luke talked about in OPM, are indicative of one of our Achilles heels. And it's a large technical debt we have of aging infrastructure. And while we like the idea of the new, modern, really cool architecture, there are some very old things sitting in our networks. Um, and I won't name agencies because <laughs> or I don't like talking about my customers in that way. Mm -hmm. But 
the more technical debt we have, the harder it is to identify for things like the end endpoints, the data that sits on those endpoints, the applications that depend on those endpoints. So for instance, our strategy when we walk in is to one, do a lot of identification of what's actually in a network, what's in an architecture, for instance. And then we ask our customers, basically maybe five or six basic questions about one, how are you managing that, monitoring that? How are you securing it, protecting it? How do you consolidate it and, and how do you migrate it if you have to? And depending on their answers to those questions, we'll look into our portfolio and try to determine exactly what's the right solution stack for that particular client. But we found that one, once you identify and admit that you have to have some sort of architecture, whether you agree with these things or not, and this is, this is a great point because we say back in 2019, Zero Trust at, at NIST started. Well, well, let's be honest, we've been talking about Zero Trust, least privilege, for instance, access controls mm -hmm. forever. I've been doing this since, wow, Banyan Vines, I'm just gonna embarrass myself, okay? And we now understand that all those objects, all, those all that content that flies across our wires needs a lot of attention. And so we're helping our customers identify those endpoints, identify those data, but more importantly, as Mark pointed out, what are those applications doing? Where are they, quite frankly? So we look at that architecture and yes, we'll apply a lot of solutions, but I think our customers now realize that, oh my goodness, there isn't just one silver bullet we can touch. For instance, there isn't just one magic solution. And now we've learned also as a, as a vendor, to work with both customer and competitor and other you know, agencies from the federal government to think about exactly what's the right approach to zero trust and how is the right model applicable for a specific agency and its specific mission. Yeah, I think the executive order is certainly sort of uh, putting a spotlight on that sort of, uh, um, it's not even the agencies admitting it, it's they're required to now and they're, they're going in there and discovering all these, these various things. And Thank goodness the Technology Modernization Fund is available for them to address some of that technical debt. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Everyone is working everywhere and data goes with you on endpoints to the cloud and everywhere in between. Lookout delivers an integrated endpoint to cloud security solution, giving you full visibility, keeping data secure no matter where it's stored how it is transmitted, or who has access, helps your agency provide granular and dynamic zero trust. Lookout is available through Kerasoft. Learn more at kerasoft.com lookout. With remote work becoming more widespread, traditional practices for protecting identity have proven inadequate. The time is right for government agencies to explore zero trust. Zero trust assumes that traffic inside the network is as likely to be as malicious as traffic outside the network. To protect your network and data, you need advanced automated tools that adhere to the principles of zero trust. Quest Public Sector has the end-to-end -end solutions you need to implement zero trust in your agency. Learn more at questpublicsector.com. Illumio, the leader in zero trust segmentation, is your last line of defense against cyber attacks. Detection and perimeter defenses are no longer enough. Your agency's or command's network will be breached, but an attack has to move laterally across your network to find and steal your valuable data and digital assets. Illumio stops attacks from moving and lets you see your risks, isolate attacks, and secure your mission critical systems. Safeguard your operations and stop cyber threats in their tracks with Illumio, the leader in zero trust segmentation. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about zero trust architecture, and we were uh, just going over the, uh, the top line, if you will, on where we are sort of a state of the state. Tony, uh, I, we think about uh, Lookout, and, and we, we, we know this is a company that sort of dominates the, uh, the mobile 
uh, and space there. Uh, but Lookout's a lot bigger than that. And, and thankfully, right, because we have a, an entire architecture that we have to roll out here. Give us a top line as to what's happening at Lookout and what's going on with Zero Trust architecture. Sure. Thanks, Luke. Uh, yeah, as, as you stated, Lookout uh, has its roots based in mobile threat defense. Um, been doing that about 14 years, and we've expanded our, our portfolio and into the SASE space, which is certainly relevant as we talk about zero trust architecture. The uh, secure access service edge portfolio of solutions uh, it really um, is, is fits well within zero trust architecture around kind of three main pieces. One is a uh, um, is uh, securing legacy enterprise applications with solutions like ZTNA, which is typically used for VPN replacement. Um, CASB, which uh, is, is uh, quite familiar probably to most people, which is uh, securing commercial cloud applications and also secure web gateway. Um, and you know, really the, uh, the, the premise of zero trust is the fact that the perimeter is gone. Um, you know, the data resides outside the network. And frankly, we reside outside the network you know, which further exacerbated by the pandemic. I think you know, there was a, you know, we heard some commentary early, which I, I certainly agree with that zero trust is, has, uh, has been in, uh, in the making for some time and, and people have effectively been moving towards a lot of those types of solutions and, and securing their networks. But the, uh, the pandemic forced all of us at home and, and, and many times on mobile devices. So I, I think one of, the, uh, one of the key elements here is, is starting with the endpoint and taking it all the way through the cloud. You know, and today, 70% of all internet data is accessed by a mobile device, yet only roughly one third of all devices have some sort of mobile security on them. So I think as uh, with, uh, with work from home uh, possibly being a permanent fixture for, for many, certainly uh, many in the private sector, um, but many in the public sector as well, I, I think not only the endpoint, but the mobile endpoint needs to be um, uh, well cared for and thought of as, as part of any zero trust architecture. Um, the uh, the other the other notion about around this SASE technology, you know, many many folks, both private and public sector, look to Gartner for for a lot of the uh, the intelligence around these types of things. Gartner, uh, I think, uh, a point of note here that uh, their their magic quadrant for the SASE technology. First of all, they're they're likely to rename it SSE. So if you see the terminology SSE, that's uh, they're going to drop the A. It'll be Secure Service Edge, but. They're building one just for SSE and not separately for the other types of cloud solutions I mentioned previously. So uh, the, the, uh, the thought behind that is as a user, uh, private or public sector, you might have, you might be on a legacy commercial application, shift to something like an Office 365 fully uh, co you know, commercial cloud application and then browse the web. And you wanna be able to, as a user and as an administrator, you want, you, you, want the, you want a good experience for your employees and be able to do that seamlessly across through a single proxy. So, so Gartner has really picked up on that and, and they're only looking to evaluate companies that have really all three of those technologies. So best in breed works in, in certain areas of, of technology. And I know everybody here has, has probably done that. I think as we begin to look at some of these cloud security solutions, the level of complexity, policy management and the user experience uh, potentially degrades when you start to look at multiple solutions in those types of categories. So real interesting what we're going to see out of Gartner. And, and I think that um, they're, uh, they're certainly going to provide some, uh, some additional color around what all of you, uh, public and private sector, are doing around zero trust. 
Shane, let's roll back over to you. You all, again, as site have been very aggressive in rolling out these various capabilities and undoubtedly had to start, you know, building out the zero trust architecture. Lots of different pieces of this. Uh, it was cited uh, five different elements. Give us a, uh, uh, if you want to highlight one piece of the program uh, that you'd like to highlight uh, and just kind of just tell us about what, what's going on with that. Maybe even sort of what you've discovered there, what's working, what maybe is not working. Um, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, it's funny. We were started doing zero trust before we realized we were doing zero trust, um, mm -hmm. primarily driven by need um, and just realization that the, the way the cloud operates, I, I don't see cloud as more secure or less secure than prem. It's just different and, and understanding the differences was critical for us. Um, fortunately for me, well, sort of fortunately, we had a number of incidents and close calls that brought home the message that we needed to change our change the way we do stuff. Automation, I think, was the first thing that really hit home, especially with cloud technologies. Um, the realization that the, the scale scope and speed at which cloud operates was well beyond our resource limitation, well beyond our resources. It just wasn't something we were capable of doing. The idea of watching screens for alerts had to go. So we had started investing, you know, bit by bit, kind of taking an agile approach um, where you start small, you sort of fail forward, you expect failure, you learn from failure and you keep going. Um, and maybe you only do a little tiny thing here and a little tiny thing there, but all those, those things add up over time. Um, automation was one of the key pieces that we started into primarily because of cloud, but it became obvious to us very quickly that it was going to be critical to the identity as well. Um, USCIS established the Center of Excellence for it for DHS and has helped really drive that, that security automation piece home. Um, I think my SOC now, because um, we, we track the automations and we use the labor hours of those automations that would have normally cost us had we not had the automation in place. Mm -hmm. I think we're doing about $20 million a year in savings right now about for an automation. Okay. Um, and it's just continually to grow. So I think for me, for me and for USCIS in general, automation was was critical and, and not just in the SOC, it, it had to be expanded. Um, and so right now we're in the process of automating larger segments of our of the security program itself. Um, you know, the FISMA controls and alignments there, even even documentation, um, we've finally started doing that part of it. Um, I'm, I'm done having people write Word documents and, and submitting them over and over and over again. So automating those portions and parts of the security program are also just as critical. Um, because you need to free up those resources to focus on the things you don't know about um, and focus on those, those unknown threats as opposed to the knowns. Chris, how about over at Quest? Give us a, uh, you know, you have an opportunity to strike across all these various agencies. Give us an example of one program you'd like to highlight that you uh, would uh, want to recognize. Sure, I'm going to feed off my last comments around our sure. aging infrastructure and technical debt. That is, when you walk into a customer's data center, um, they're looking for a solution typically for a, the most prevalent application or system. And my questions usually formal, formulate around, well, what's supporting that particular application or system? And we found that one very large agency and they were security oriented um, from a nation national perspective is that they process so many transactions that they were dependent on a couple of specific types of systems that were based on versions of Unix that quite frankly, just really weren't heavily supported when it comes to modern security architectures. And they asked us, well, can you protect and can you, you know, insulate or isolate identities on these particular platforms? And where most agencies have migrated to Active Directory and ICAM and more modern identity systems, they still had these legacy Unix systems and they weren't going away because if they went away, I think a lot of us would actually be impacted based on what they did. Um, so we actually came up with a solution where we actually had something that will do what we call privilege access management 
um, and privilege um, um, session management for those Unix machines. And we were able to, with, <laughs> with a lot of political consternation and, and discussion, get the Unix administrators to let someone else determine when they would be able to access those systems. If you've ever worked with Unix administrators, and I, I used to be one and, and so some of you may have, they don't like giving up God mode or keys to the kingdom. So we were able to come up with a just-in-time admin super user account process. Mm -hmm. So when they needed to do something or kill a daemon, for instance, on a system or work on a process or write a script or you know change something at that at this, at ring zero, for instance, we were able to provide that kind of access. It made a material difference because the, the amount of money it would have taken to re-architect, re-platform those mm -hmm. Unix systems would have really been prohibitive for the agency at that particular time. And the dynamic nature of what they did, they would literally be changing an engine in flight to try to get those systems changed now. Now, fast forward, they're moving to AWS, they're moving to a containerized architecture. They've they've understood that that technical debt was a disaster. No, I didn't say disaster, that's a bad word for them. But it was something that needed to change. And now that they're moving to a more modern architecture, it's a lot easier to start employing more industry accepted solutions. So as Tony was talking about what they do with Lookout, for instance, you know, that is an entirely modern architecture. I look at what we're doing, for instance, we, you know, across cloud and with ICAM and with sessions management, it's a lot easier now that they're moving to these architectures. And the fact that they're on a major cloud provider, for instance, it makes the integration of those things easier. And I think that's the thing that we, um, we overlook. When Shane talked about automating, if you're trying to automate something on PowerShell, you know, or, or you know, or, or, or any old code base, for instance, it's very difficult. But once you have access to modern APIs or managed APIs, and you can get to data sets and get to those identities quickly, you can architect those systems and create a process that everyone can actually live with. And that, you know, even old stone age Unix administrators will, won't object to. So it was a, it was a happy ending. Um, it's a, not a public case study, for instance, but we do talk about it when we can in situations like this. So back to you, Luke. Trifinia. How about at SBA, you know, you, you talked about quadrupling your workforce, had to move them out to COVID, scale up those uh, environments. Now you're doubling down on all this architecture. How's it going? Give us a specific example, one piece of that that you all are working on that you'd like to highlight. Yeah, I, I want to highlight the asset pillar of Zero Trust. So, you know, as you can imagine, you have 20,000 additional identities, but you also have 20,000 additional, not 20,000 additional, maybe 15,000 additional uh, laptops or desktops, those endpoints. So now we're taking a step back and evaluating the architecture of that. And kind of what Shane was talking about, how can we leverage uh, automation and figure out, okay, our risk appetites for these endpoints. Uh, with all of these endpoints out there, we need to evaluate, okay, does this endpoint have the right operating system? Is uh, the, does it have the right updates on it? Okay, can it connect to our network? And so we're trying to put in the policies in place that will allow a good baseline is what we're, what we're trying to implement and being successful at it while also leveraging a CMDB, so that change um, configuration management database that will house all of those different changes. So it's it's all a centralized uh, architecture that we're trying to implement. And I'd say it's going pretty well, but it's also, it leverages a lot of communication with the other program offices. Mm -hmm. um, at the SBA, there's a lot of, you know, there's uh, the Office of Disaster and there's all kinds of different program offices um, that we have to communicate with and we have to um, work together with. And so it's been a, it's been a journey, but I think we'll, 
it will end well. Tony, how about at Lookout? Uh, you cited that you you have a lot of, well, well let me step back and say you all are in, uh, uh, in the middle of a lot of different agencies. You're seeing a lot of different activities. Why don't you give us an example of one program that you're you're working on the zero trust architecture that you'd like to to bring to the attention of our user population? Uh, yeah, we're it's um, a good question. We're we're working with a uh, uh, one of the DoD agencies that's looking at. It's started out as a as a as a bring your own approved device device BYOAD mm -hmm. program, mm -hmm. um, which uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of that. A lot of um, a lot of different agencies looking to replace GFE, you know, get rid of the, the expensive and complexity of having a fleet of devices and, and trying to get the users to bring their own. There's a, the, the technology is there, right? Whether it's the device manager as well as, you know, the uh, mobile threat defense type solution from Lookout is there. What we're seeing though with, with a couple of these programs is they started out uh, specifically uh, as uh, to secure uh, BYO devices, but mm -hmm. now they've, um, with zero trust on uh, really at, at top of mind for everyone, they've expanded into looking at cloud security solutions uh, as well, because those those devices are, are now, um, particularly with uh, so many people working from home and being outside the network and the data being outside the network, um, they're looking at cloud solutions for those devices as well as, as their other endpoints. So I think uh, I'm pleased to see kind of this, this holistic approach where um, I, I certainly wouldn't call it previously as only point solutions, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're, they're looking at a lot of things around mobile, but now the other things that they're looking at around mobile from a security perspective expand well beyond just the device itself and maybe what network it resides on. It's looking at the data, data at rest, data in transit, um, and then and, and more of a continuous conditional uh, access perspective. So really pleased to see that expansion uh, um, and, and having that being top of mind in some of these traditional mobile programs. Alpair. Um, speaking of architecture, again, we talked about the, uh, the zero trust strategy, the maturity model that's out there, et cetera. A lot of good work going on to, to nail down the definitions of some of these things so that there's not uh, 10 different agencies going in 10 different directions. Give us an example of where you are on uh, one of the programs that you'd like to, to focus your attention on. Um. I mean, we're our focus is <laughs> right now on on this big project that uh, we launched, uh, and um, our goal is to put out uh, some implementations out there as examples that mm -hmm. uh, allows us to demonstrate some of these different approaches that we describe in uh, our document. Um, and it's very important uh, to uh, do that right, uh, and um, you know giving examples and using the commercially available technologies, putting them out there will create a found foundational starting point for a lot of the uh, folks that are looking to uh, move toward uh, ZTAs. Um, and so that's where our focus is. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, but uh, what we're doing is, is basically we're taking the uh, approach of, uh, you know, crawl, uh, walk and, and run uh, type mm -hmm. of uh, approach where we are tackling um, a, a minimum viable uh, implementation initially, because uh, mm -hmm. the assumption is that uh, most folks out there will have some sort of uh, endpoint security uh, solutions on, on their you know, endpoints. Uh, it's uh, certainly, uh, you know, some uh, will have uh, identity stores or some kind of identity management system in place. 
some uh, network security uh, uh, solutions uh, in place. So we want to leverage all of those uh, uh, to start and uh, uh, you know using a um, essentially identity management system to drive the zero trust uh, policy enforcement aspect of things. And so that's our starting point, and that's where we're focusing on focusing on. Um, and uh, of course, uh, the goal is to uh, expand that into uh, more complex uh, versions of zero trust architectures, uh, uh, going into, for example, microsegmentation and then uh, software-defined perimeters. And of course, uh, SASE will be looking at that, you know, uh, proxying, uh, giving access in that way. Um, and the thing is, we have about 18 months to do all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, there's also the IoT aspect of things that we want to look at. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to do it on this particular phase. It might be the second phase that we follow on. But uh, our uh, path is, is, is definitely etched in stone at this point. And, and uh, we just want to put out uh, something out there uh, that will, be, that will bring value. Um, and so that's where we are. And, and no doubt that's going to be extremely helpful because you, you hear so many times, uh, look, I've got all these different pieces in part. I've got endpoint security. I have some sort of micro segmentation of sorts, or I don't have any, you know, where do I start, right? And I think having you all lay that down and give some examples is going to be really important and really critical to the community to, to move this forward. All right, we're going to take another short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Everyone is working everywhere, and data goes with you, on endpoints, to the cloud, and everywhere in between. Lookout delivers an integrated endpoint-to-cloud security solution giving you full visibility, keeping data secure, no matter where it's stored, how it is transmitted, or who has access, helps your agency provide granular and dynamic zero trust. Lookout is available through Kerasoft. Learn more at kerasoft.com lookout. With remote work becoming more widespread, traditional practices for protecting identity have proven inadequate. The time is right for government agencies to explore zero trust. Zero trust assumes that traffic inside the network is as likely to be as malicious as traffic outside the network. To protect your network and data, you need advanced automated tools that adhere to the principles of zero trust. Quest Public Sector has the end-to-end solutions you need to implement zero trust in your agency. Learn more at questpublicsector.com. Illumio, the leader in zero trust segmentation, is your last line of defense against cyber attacks. Detection and perimeter defenses are no longer enough. Your agency's or command's network will be breached, but an attack has to move laterally across your network to find and steal your valuable data and digital assets. Illumio stops attacks from moving and lets you see your risks, isolate attacks, and secure your mission-critical systems. Safeguard your operations and stop cyber threats in their tracks with Illumio, the leader in zero trust segmentation. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about zero trust architecture, and we were just pointing out uh, specific programs. Mark, I want to throw it over to you at Illumio. Uh, you all, uh, one, have uh, doing a lot of work in the private sector as well, right? Uh, and, and a lot of the capability and implementations cross over into what you're seeing in the federal service, I would imagine. Give us an example of a program you'd like to highlight. Yeah, that's a good uh, lead-in, Luke. We, um, we have a tremendous amount of experience in the commercial side, especially in the financial sector, where most of the large banks in the world are using Illumio to protect their financial transactions, right? Because it's a heavy, heavily regulated sector, I might add. 
Exactly. And so what we're finding is we're working right now with the Department of the Air Force, uh, specifically on something called CNAP, which is Cloud Native Access Point. And that was released back in August of this year. And one of the things in there, of course, is micro-segmentation, which they uh, authorize as ingress. Uh, but specifically, we're working with them on uh, developing an on-prem zero-trust security stack that you could basically come into an Air Force base and install. I, I, the analogy I like to describe, it's like a tennis court where that's the legacy system. And then you come in with a tennis bubble and you now have 24 seven, 365 ability to play tennis, just like a security stack on a legacy uh, Air Force data center would give you that 24 seven, 365 zero trust ability as well. Mm -hmm. um, they're looking at it like infrastructure as code, uh, really applying a lot of the principles of cloud one uh, to that environment. So we're working with the Department of the Air Force to basically uh, focus on the micro segmentation piece. And you know, since we're decoupled from the network architecture uh, and we're focusing on uh, application security, we can uh, install very quickly and we can actually protect those initially high value assets. Um, but you know, we're looking at 180 Air Force bases and Space mm -hmm. Force bases. So you've got to have automation like Trophenia said, um, which is extremely important. Uh, and, you know, and even Chris talked about uh, containerized um, applications. And so from a delivery perspective, uh, you would have to have that as well. So we're, we have a containerized uh, version of our software that can be rolled out very quickly, uh, automated to help um, the Department of the Air Force uh, really uh, uh, get to uh, at least a, a modicum of zero trust. And we're also working with them on the visibility piece as well, right? Uh, they call it network discovery. So you've got to discover, view the network, and then you can start to micro-segment and roll this out. We're going to roll over to top priorities out there. Let me start with you. I know there's a lot of different things you're working on. Top priority for you right now with Zero Trust Architecture. Well, uh, my top priority uh, is to see the project uh, that we, are, we uh, launched uh, to its 100% uh, success. I might sound like a broken record here, but... Um, it, a lot of eyes are on us, uh, so 100% uh, of my attention is really focused on this project at this time. Um, and uh, it's important that we put out some examples ETAs out there. But what we do with uh, with our project is we we also complement each solution that we build with uh, an 1800 series document, um, which we work on in parallel as we develop our solutions. Uh, and this, this 1800 uh, uh, series document uh, is what we refer to as practice guide. Uh, we uh, basically describe how we put together the solution um, and we outline the steps that uh, somebody else can take over and recreate the solution. Uh, we list the technologies that we used, uh, test cases that we uh, performed, uh, demonstrated, uh, and we also uh, map the solutions uh, capabilities, security capabilities to uh, NIST cybersecurity framework. And mm -hmm. so we have really uh, two parallel activities uh, that are top priority that is um, on my plate uh, going in parallel. And um, uh, we wanna uh, put out uh, anything that we developed and, and we can uh, also uh, put out as or, or document at the same time. And uh, that's, that's, that is our focus right now. Shane, top priority for this year, number one priority. Um, you know, I know this is gonna say, I know we've talked about a lot of really great architectural things, technology things, but honestly, I, I think the, one of the biggest things we're focused on right now is, is the cultural change. That's okay, um, that's a big one. 
it, it's the hardest, actually, in my view. Uh, you know, Mark Schwartz, I think, demonstrated this better than any a former CIO of USCIS. Um, he spent three years driving cultural change so that we could do agile development. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, zero trust. Um, while it adds a lot of a lot of capabilities, a lot of you know, a lot of great useful things on from the security side, even on the networking side, it, it does add friction as well um, to your user population, to your development teams, to any to your networking teams. So driving cultural change and, and you know getting back to some of the points we've made about hey taking away those privileges or taking away things that people have always done or the way they've always done things uh, is just it, you know you can't speak enough volumes about that and you start now you don't wait until you're trying to implement those technologies and they all are you know having mouth and you need them on board you need them you know you need them part of that team you know have so we've you know focusing on that cultural change is going to be a big piece of what we do this year while we implement a number of newer technologies api security and uh, finishing out our security our cert automation um you know those are going to be other things going on in the background so that when we get ready to the the culture is ready for those changes trafinia number one priority for you in regards to zero trust this year yeah unfortunately it's going to touch on what shane was talking about earlier about those microsoft word documents and making sure that we have all the inputs from all of the different program offices mm -hmm. the network engineers the iam people we need to have everyone on board making sure we all know what zero trust means to the SBA. So we're continuing to work on those documents as well as EDR. We are already utilizing EDR at the SBA, but we want to make sure that um, all of those, those agents or um, the that infrastructure is everywhere that it needs to be. So we'll be continuing to work on that as well. Great place to focus the attention. All right, we're going to uh, wrap it up with this last question. Tony, I'm gonna start with you at Lookout. What I'm going to ask you is, uh, what does it look like in two to three years? You know, what does the environment look like when you're entering into said agency? What are you expecting to see? You know, what's the, you know, sort of coming out of the Petri dish, out of the lab, into the, the operator's hands two to three years from now? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I think I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give Shane a little credit on this one. I read an article recently where he was quoted as, as saying that the ultimate goal of zero trust is to put your entire enterprise out on the public Internet. Um, and it's a it's a that's a daunting proposition for private sector and public sector alike to, to think about what that truly means. Um, and I think, you know, we've, we've touched on it many times today. Zero trust is it's a cultural shift. There, there, is, there, there will probably never be a proclamation of mission accomplished. Right. It's, it's we're always striving to uh, to 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 close the, the gaps. But the the threat actors, as we know, uh, will always continue to uh, adjust their attack surface and, and the threat vector. Um, and we always have to keep up with that. So two to three years out, I, I suspect um, uh, virtually all of the networks will be out on the public internet and might be still some legacy systems in, in some corners of uh, public and private sector. But uh, the good news is, is, is even today, there's technology to support those initiatives. And I only expect those to, uh, to continue to improve. I, ransomware is not going away. Um, State-sponsored attacks are not going away. Uh, we'll continue to see different things, right? We've seen pipelines shut down. We've seen meat distribution uh, impacted. Um, I suspect that we, um, we'll, we'll potentially see some things on a grander scale that potentially are more uh, life and, and society impacting than, than those two. And we have to be ready for it. So uh, again, the technology is there and uh, in, in the technology and the vision of zero trust are fortunately both marching in the same direction. Chris, how about over at Quest? What's it going to look like in two to three years from where you all sit? From where we sit, and when I think about 
uh, how far we've come. And I think that's the credit we don't really give ourselves, both as, as industry, as government, in commercial space. We've made a lot of leaps and bounds, quite frankly. I remember when security was not even a thought. Uh, I remember people thinking that, well, it's not connected to the network, it's secure. I don't have to worry about it. It's in a locked room. I give us the Mission Impossible example of Tom Cruise descending on a you know, you know, pulley system to go break into a computer and say, oh, that's a secure system. Says, no, it's not. What we see really is a modernization of what I think of the identity pipeline. And when I say the identity pipeline, I think of, you know, the basic questions of what we ask people in a, in a, in a access query, that is who you are, what you have, where you are, what you know, and I like to add how you're connecting as well. And what we're going to find is that that identity pipeline is going to need varying points of management, more sophisticated automation, quite frankly, because all those factors really need machine speed to process, for instance. And I think we need to move away from the concept of that. If I'm just collecting data, collecting logs, I'm looking at screens, God forbid, for instance, or I'm looking at the normal anomaly detection or threat detection we're doing right now, we're going we're gonna to have continuing issues. For instance, we talked about pipeline closures, supply chain attacks, things like that. Um, we, didn't, we didn't even talk about Kaseya, quite frankly, which is a huge identity pipeline issue that we actually had. So when we think about the future, it's going to be, and I come back to what Shane said, for instance, that is, it's going to be automation. It's going to be systems. And I don't necessarily mean artificial intelligence and machine learning. Sure, those will play a role. But I think it's going to be much better systems that can actually aggregate, for instance, detect things in those things, highlight them to the right people, for instance, and route those requests. The old workflows that we used to have, for instance, I used to laugh at things like the good old Lotus Notes days where we'd have workflows and we said, oh yeah, I now have a Word document to go edit. We've got to do the same thing in security, for instance. So when we're working on identity as a system or identity pipelines, we've got to figure out exactly how do we route everything to the right person at the right time, for instance, to get people the right level of access, because that's where the rubber meets the road, for instance. It's not just deploying a great new system or buying a, a nice slick solution. It's how do we actually implement these things? So I think the future is going to hold a lot more automation. It's going to, going to disseminate a lot more decision trees among people that normally aren't part of the security pipeline or identity pipeline today. And it's going to put a lot of onus on end users. They're going to have to get used to doing more sophisticated things with their devices and paying attention to the types of security they're accessing and, and technologies they're using on, on a personal level because there is no more perimeter, quite frankly, and we all know that now. Um, I've become keenly aware, quite frankly, and now the future means that the identity pipeline means that everyone's going to be involved, which means more automation, for instance, and our system is going to have to get a lot smarter for us to be successful in the future. Mark, how about over at Illumio? Uh, what's the demand signal looking like? What, 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 are you, what are you anticipating in two to three years? Right. So uh, let me just preface that by saying that what I'm seeing, certainly the automation piece is extremely important. But I think we as a, as a country, we as, a, as folks in federal and the vendor community that supports the federal space need to have a much higher degree of urgency. Uh, we, I, I believe that there needs to be a way to prioritize um, the fact that we are gonna get attacked. Uh, we have to worry about China, China and China because that's our number one adversary. And we have to make sure uh, that we can protect against uh, these nation state type attacks. Uh, but I think um, from our perspective, what we see is that you've got to have that visibility. Uh, we just released something just a couple of weeks ago called Illumio Cloud Secure, which allows cloud native application visibility so that you can actually see what's happening in the cloud from a workload and application perspective. That's absolutely critical when you're talking about uh, putting your uh, unclassified network on, on in, in the public cloud, for example. Uh, and give you an example of why visibility is so important. So one of our customers at the US uh, 
Space Force had uh, put Illumio in uh, to their network. And within 10 minutes, they were able to see unauthorized connections on the back end that they didn't even know about. Mm. This, this was extremely eye-opening. They were able to shut that down immediately. And that made them a big believer of the importance of visibility on then micro-segmenting. So uh, I, I really believe that the visibility piece is extremely important. And then we're going to start to roll out micro-segmentation. Uh, the last comment I'll make is uh, I would agree with uh, Shane about um, the, the, the term zero trust going away. So maybe by three years from now, we'll, won't, we won't have the term zero trust. It'll just, we'll be talking probably about the components, whether it's identity, whether it's micro segmentation under the app and workload pillar, et cetera. So perhaps we'll all have a t-shirt where it just says uh, zero trust with a line through it. And then, and then maybe you have some kind of clever comment on the back that talks about what we're really doing now. Trafenia. Uh, what's it going to look like in a couple of years? If I'm a small business owner trying to apply for a, a loan, am I going to be able to sit on the couch with my mobile device and feel good securely about that and be successful? Yes, the answer is yes. Um, we're working to make that more possible in the future. Fantastic. Yeah. I think it'll be really good, but we're going to be leveraging um, SOAR, that security orchestration and automated response mm -hmm. for all of our infrastructure. We're making sure that um, we will continue to leverage that and leverage all of the time saved um, so that our security engineers can focus on those high level um, threats. And then also, I, I really think in the next one to three years, we'll continue to see more of a collaboration between the government agencies and industry. Uh, I've seen a lot of that in the past just nine months, nine to 10, nine to 12 months. Um, there's been a lot of collaboration to find a zero trust solution um, that encompasses all of the pillars. And because not just one vendor has the solution and not just one agency has the solution, but I really see a collaboration and competitors working together to make that solution. So I'm, I'm excited for the future and I think we'll come out with something um, more secure for everyone. Jane, uh, what can we expect in a couple of years? I know you all aggressively into the cloud. You still have a bunch of legacy stuff out there you're working on. A lot of benefit seekers uh, demanding your goods and services. What do you see in two to three years? Hopefully I'm still employed. Um, you know, that, that's always going to be a plot. Well, that's, a, that's, a, that's a going assumption. Going assumption. Um, I, I think I, we're gonna, I really, I, I see a move towards three things. Um, one, uh, you know, heavy focus on data-driven security, you know, that behavioral-based approach to how you do security as opposed to sort of just, you know, at-large monitoring, you know, non-normal, you know, you're not looking for the out, way outside the box, not nor abnormal, you're really looking for the little tiny changes in, in that big bell curve, um, which is really focuses you back onto that threat hunting approach to security. Um, I think we'll also see a move towards, you know, following suit with some of what the development community is doing at domain-driven design. I think we're going to see a domain-driven security as well. Uh, USCIS is already working towards that. That's going to replace the concept of zero trust. Um, that's going to be what we do. That's how we'll start thinking about it because it's just sort of what happens. Um, and I think finally, you'll see as part of what you can do with some of the zero trust principles and, and practices, you know, a, a heavier push towards microservices and even serverless environments and deployments. Um, it helps a little bit with multi-cloud if that's something you're really terribly interested in doing and really creating yourself, all kinds of headaches for yourself. But, you know, obviously there's going to be the shortcomings with FISMA that need to be addressed before we get there. Uh, FISMA wouldn't even consider a microservices system technically a system. 
Um, and then it creates a lot of number of problems where, where data lives, how data lives and where it exists. But I think that drive towards that is it, because it solves certain security problems, it, it creates others, but it, it does solve a number of, of development problems as well as the security issues. So I think that's going to be very critical as well. Alper, uh, take us home here. Uh, you uh, have a fantastic publication that you laid out there, got in front of that whole community. Now you're putting these references together. What are you expecting to see? What's NIST expecting to see in regards to zero trust architecture? across the community over the next two to three years? Um, hopefully, uh, and uh, you know, we anticipate that uh, you know, our example ZTAs that we will be uh, implementing uh, will bring value and will be adopted, uh, uh, will be in use, uh, and, uh, or at least uh, will be used as a starting point for most, most uh, uh, outfits that uh, wanna move towards ZTA. Um, so that's that's uh, you know pr uh, as an outcome of our work. Um, but in terms of uh, uh, where everyone is going to be, I think uh, you know most most will be in a more mature state um, in uh, in their zero trust uh, orchestration, uh, have better you know, more granular policies in place because they by you know they will be uh, more. Uh, Include into their 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 networks what's happening in their networks what's you know uh, connected who's on the network um, there will be uh, more focus on behavior uh, based security I would say uh, which is really the key and of course my uh, panelists already mentioned about the automation aspect of things um, you know that uh, definitely is important uh, needs to be uh, even better early detection and responses is is uh, whichever way you do it and automate it uh, is is very critical. Um, yeah, so I, I think uh, uh, through one to three years, uh, I think there will be some innovations uh, in that regard, uh, but we'll also be in a more mature state, uh, I would say. Um, I'm and I'm not um, saying that everyone is going to be 100% zero trust because there's not going to be in such thing. Uh, as we move forward, we'll probably discover uh, more clever uh, hacking hacks that, uh, you know, infiltrate uh, into our networks also. And, uh, but at the same time, we'll figure out better ways to protect the network. But right now, Zero Trust is the way to go about it uh, because it allows us to um, uh, secure uh, our uh, high value assets in a more granular fashion. Uh, and it allows us to also get better at at it uh, because it's policy based and because we're also uh you know analyzing our logs and uh and so uh, you know it's a uh a system that kind of uh, gets better as you utilize it no doubt i mean it's it's an architecture it's a journey and we're all on board i want to thank each one of you not only for taking your time out of your busy schedules to to, to talk about this subject but uh uh, for everything that you do to keep this country safe. One of you cited that, you know, there's a lot of bad actors out there trying to do some really bad things. So we appreciate the community coming together to keep everyone in this country safe. I'd like to also thank the sponsors for supporting us on the show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, we'd like to thank you, the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.